2: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, free trading platform Robinhood is going to IPO finally. After rocking the private markets and the regulatory scene and the trading scene, Robinhood is gearing up for a public debut. And it's bringing the meme stock mania with it. Venture capitalist Jeff Lewis.
3: I think the Robinhood IPO might be the very top for meme stocks.
0: And Richard Branson pulls ahead in the billionaire space race. Will Jeff Bezos be
4: eating his space dust or? What if both of them lose out to Elon Musk who decides he's gonna go up on like July 4th or something?
0: And 47 million people are set to take off this holiday weekend. But could the Delta variant ruin our barbecue plans? former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb.
5: It's relatively safe right now. Vaccination rates are high in many parts of the country. I don't think people really should be concerned as they gather with family this July 4th.
0: Those stories, plus a heat wave. Wherever you spend your holiday, stay cool. It's been so
4: hot that New York City put out a war. How hot was it? It was so
0: hot. It's Friday, July 2nd, 2021. Happy early Independence Day. Squawk Pod begins
4: right now.
1: Stand Becky by in three. Two, one two, please.
4: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And, uh, yeah, here we go. We are headed into that three-day holiday weekend. First up today
0: on the podcast, the price of oil is soaring. It broke above $75 a barrel on Thursday to a near three-year high ahead of a decision from key producers on production policy for the second half of 2021. OPEC Plus and Energy Alliance meets today. The group has been seen as largely positive about the outlook for growing fuel demand. But it was just over a year ago that WTI, that is West Texas Intermediate Crude plunged into negative territory as the COVID-19 pandemic hobbled economies
4: around the world. And Joe, WTI, Uh, you got energy, the big gainer, closed above seventy-five dollars yesterday.
6: Definitely a buy when it was below zero, Uh, but I think (laughs) at at thirty-five, obviously, we thought "Eh, thirty-five seems reasonable. But was it really reasonable after what we've seen for the past forty years? Thirty-five seems low. Seventy-five, we're not. We're not. Our hair's not on fire, is it? No,
4: but this seems different. It seems like it's got some sticking power this time around because, A, Saudi Arabia and OPEC are being much more stubborn about what they're willing to put on the market, and, and B, there's been so much damage done to everybody who is producing in the shale oil fields. Big oil companies can't afford to do it and and won't do it right now. Their shareholders want other things. They want dividends. They want buybacks. And they don't want them necessarily putting as much money into getting oil out of the ground, at least depending on which shareholders you're listening to.
6: They're misguided. Uh, because we need it, and the, the minute we don't have it, and the lines start again, people go, "What the hell happened, and why did we let this happen? It happens immediately, so we wanted it at a price where you that that marginal producer is still producing you don't you don 't want it wear down where thing, where they cap the wells and things aren't getting because we immediately see, oh my god we're still what what are we eighty five percent fossil fuel globally still so until you know, as we slowly transition, uh, even if it's inevitable, in the meantime, yeah. we don't want too much you know, pain on the consumer. People turning their th- their thermometer in their house up whenever their uh, or you know, the thermostat yeah. or down. Yeah.
4: Although, you know, you see in New York City yesterday, it's been so hot that New York City put out a warning How hot was it? It was so hot. It put out a warning yesterday saying you shouldn't be doing things like using the microwave, the dishwasher, the washer, the dryer. Wait to do those things and and maybe, by the way, turn your thermostat up so that we don't have rolling blackouts at this point.
6: Yeah, because it was so hot. Yeah. You're allowed to use, I mean, hair dryers are okay, right? Well, for you. (laughs) Okay, hairdo. Okay, hairdo. Who uses more electricity Uh, on the hair? Groundhog Day. (laughs) Groundhog Day. Okay, hairdo. Andrew's got it made. Yeah, that's just a wet washcloth you can use, isn't it? You don't. uh, You
2: keep it high and tight. You know, though. Can I be honest? I'll I'll tell you something, Joe. You taught me this. The the hairdryer adds volume, so sometimes I use the hairdryer if I'm if it's it's looking a little stringy. I'm not sure you need volume though. The slick
6: thing works for you too. You know what I mean? Sleek and slick. Because in general, that's the that's the haircut that you you prefer. Well, the minute it got I like yours when it gets a little longer. And then you you come in the next day, I go, what what did you do? And you say, oh no, I need it. I like it a little. I like it a little longer. You'd like it a little longer. Yeah. I got to work on that. But you know, don't worry. Um, you guys a,
4: both got haircuts yesterday, didn't you? Did no, I don't
6: think it. Andrew did. Did you? Did you? I got
2: a haircut about a week ago. Okay.
4: About
2: a week. I did get uh, both a, tight. Yeah, but it's I, looking I, good. The other. Everybody's maybe. hair is looking good here.
6: Uh, Johnson and Johnson said uh, its COVID vaccine showed promising signs of protecting against the Delta variant in a small laboratory study. J&J said the vaccine, uh, think about that, said the vaccine triggered a strong immune response in blood samples taken from eight vaccinated people. It's an interesting way of doing it. Certainly positive, but this isn't going to hold up in court, I'll tell you that much. It's not a peer-reviewed study. Uh, but it was released. It's good news. Uh, it, it was in, in a, uh, not peer-reviewed, but it was in release on how it worked on the blood of people, of eight people that they tested. But you would be glad to see that. And separate studies have found that vaccines from Pfizer and AstraZeneca also offered substantial protection uh, against the Delta variant and maybe in years we'll know exactly what was happening here but hospitalizations very rare if you you know if you've been vaccinated and you get this thing and uh... death even rare even symptoms rare But doctor gottlieb thinks it's unlikely you're shedding much fire so you're probably not that contagious to give it to someone else but so there's all these uh these data points that oh, then you also we, see we things, time. remember
4: the story with the Yankees where they were supposedly all vaccinated and eight of them in the clubhouse got it. So if multiple people in the clubhouse are getting it while they're supposedly all vaccinated, it, it, it you know, right. it's odd. If you're in close quarters, maybe it's not a huge surprise, but that would mean if you're in close quarters with people at home, maybe you'd spread it there too.
2: Let's uh, talk a little about the trading app Robinhood. It filed that S-1. It is the first step towards one of the most highly anticipated IPOs of the year, and the filing revealed it just revealed so much. Uh, the company's rapid growth on one end, offering insight into its financial roller coaster from earlier this year after a round of what was emergency fundraising. You, remit, you remember, amid all of those meme stock trades, then there was a lawsuit, a settlement with the SEC. The Robinhood founders have a lot to address to investors in their upcoming roadshow and joining us right now to discuss all of this is venture capitalist Jeff Lewis. He's the founder and managing partner of Bedrock Capital. Jeff, it's great to see you. I you know, it was like reading a book last night trying to understand all of the the, the different elements of it. Of course, the the one piece that everybody seemed to be so fascinated by was how reliant they are on Dogecoin in terms of the fees that they were collecting off of crypto what what was the thing that stuck out to you
3: well i think that's a very interesting comment andrew on uh, on the state of the market writ large And you know on the one hand this is a company that has just executed phenomenally well i mean you know dogecoin is maybe a uh, case in point of how really this company has not only tapped into the culture but really created a new culture uh, around trading by democratizing access to the markets for folks through their business model you know, I think their name is maybe slightly misleading in that they're not really stealing from the rich and giving to the poor they're driving a lot of order flow for folks like Citadel. but all that said, huge credit to this company Now all, all that being said though at the same time, um, you got to think about what does the future hold for the markets and in a world where a huge amount of the volume for or the value pardon me for Robinhood is uh is Dogecoin a meme cryptocurrency one does need to ask some questions around, uh, is this a is this a long term? Are the markets long term going to keep uh, accelerating with this crazy Fed driven frenzy that we've seen to date? And I think I think that actually uh, is the most important question when it comes to this this stock in particular. And
2: how how would you answer that question?
3: Well, you know, I'd answer that question by uh, by, by starting to think a little bit about um, you know on a on a uh, sort of fundamental level. One of the questions I always ask is. If we look at this valuation as a discount on the future, does it make sense? So I think of 40 billion or so valuation for Robinhood as a premium on the past, as a premium on how phenomenally they've executed, their growth 300% year over year revenue growth, phenomenal, like just unbelievable execution in many ways. Yes, maybe you can get to the valuation. As a discount on the future, I'm a lot less convinced. Just as the Blackstone IPO uh, sort of ticked the top for private equity, one could argue that the Coinbase IPO, maybe there was sort of a local maxima on, on Bitcoin with that IPO. I think the Robinhood IPO might be the very top for meme stocks. And I think a, a, lot of the, a lot of the volume and a lot of activity on this app is driven by Gen Z traders. I think their median age is 31. And I do think that things can't really get any crazier on the meme stock stuff at this point or on the meme cryptocurrency stuff at this point. And so, as a discount on the future, I'm actually very worried about a future uh, in which the Fed uh, raises rates, the QE insanity stocks right. and the meme stock phenomenon uh, dissipates. Why,
2: why do you believe the meme? I'm, I'm curious why you think the meme stock phenomenon and some of the crypto phenomenon, maybe we should separate them or maybe connect them however you like, uh, is, is coming to a close. Well, I'd love for them both to Or is continue. it not that coming no. to a close, it's coming off a high? Coming off a high. And again, these things are cyclical. I- I think they
3: come back. I think retail's pretty pretty fully invested at this point. Uh, I think I I really do. You know, sort of anecdotally, I speak with my my friends in the early thirties. I feel like retail's very fully invested. Uh, I think that uh, I I I think that these uh, meme driven phenomena uh, just just feel uh, feel like the end of a cycle to me. So it's a qualitative gut driven thing. I don't have the analysis. I don't have the the data, but my gut is that it, it really can't get that much crazier.
2: And is that the same same with crypto for you? No,
3: th- that, that's very different. But I would say that I'm biased towards the crypto uh, that, uh, that, is, that is less driven by memes and more driven by sort of a long-term story around, again, why in the future it would be much more valuable. So if you believe the Bitcoin store value narrative you Know remain quite bullish there. And I think Robinhood has a good story as a, as a crypto platform as well. And I'm I'm not a bear on this business. I just want to wait and see over the next next few years. They've they've certainly executed really well, but stuff something like Bitcoin, Ethereum, if they actually end up due powering an entire decentralized finance system, you can see a lot of value there. So I'm I'm long-term bearish on a few of the cryptocurrencies. And then I do think the meme stocks were the core businesses. Really don't have great fundamental values or strong stories. And even the CEOs of these businesses are in on the joke and and recognize how absurd it is on these mean stocks. That's very different from a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, where there is no CEO, or even Ethereum, where it's, you know, Vitalik's not not the CEO or anything like
2: that. Jeff, thank you. Appreciate it. We'll see what happens. It's going to be at minimum fun to watch. Thanks. Definitely definitely be fun. Uh, hope, Hope the fun keeps
3: going. We'll see.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, millions are on the move for the holiday weekend. Us among them. How worried should we be about the Delta variant? Well, it depends. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb.
5: I wouldn't hold back on gathering with friends and family this holiday because the virus is spreading furtively in very low numbers in certain parts of the country.
0: That conversation right after this. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross-Sorkin. Here's Andrew.
2: Welcome back to Squawk. This morning, the CDC issuing a grave warning about the Delta variant ahead of the holiday weekend. The agency saying the number of COVID cases rose 10% in the U.S. this week, with a quarter of new infections linked to that variant, which is now found in all 50 states. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner, a CNBC contributor. He also serves, of course, on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. And as families gather this weekend, Scott, tell us what we should be knowing and thinking.
5: Well, look, I think in most parts of the country, prevalence is very
2: low. Um, It's
5: relatively safe right now. Vaccination rates are high in many parts of the country. I don't think people really should be concerned as they gather with family this July 4th. In some parts of the country where you see prevalence rising, Missouri, parts of Nevada Arkansas, Oklahoma. I think people should exercise more caution, but there's sort of isolated parts of the country where you're seeing infection levels rise. The rest of the part, rest of the country looks very good. And I think what you're seeing is a decoupling between places with high vaccination rates and places with low vaccination rates. You're also, quite frankly, seeing a decoupling between uh, cases And the extreme death and disease that this virus was causing, when you look at the United Kingdom and what's happening in Israel, cases are continuing to rise in those parts of the world. But hospitalizations and deaths aren't increasing. And for a while, we thought that just was the lagging effect, where you don't see hospitalizations pick up until three, four weeks after you see cases start to rise. Same with deaths. But at this point, we have enough of a trend to suggest that you're just going to see a decoupling right now, and you're not going to see the extreme outcomes from uh, the virus in parts of the world where vaccination rates are high, and that includes the United States. Now, that said, there are pockets of vulnerability here in the U.S. that we need to be worried about, and we still need to get vaccine more equitably
2: distributed around the country. Can you speak to this j and uh, news that we're, we've been talking about this morning, uh, the study that they've done? Um, apparently, it's not peer-reviewed just yet, but, but what your initial impressions are uh, about its uh, resistance to the Delta variant?
5: Yeah, the results aren't a surprise. I I think that the J&J vaccine will work against the Delta variant, and the efficacy will be consistent with what we've seen in the past from that vaccine. There's nothing, nothing to suggest that this variant can evade the existing vaccines. In every case where we have experimental evidence, meaning test tube evidence, of looking at the antibodies generated by this vaccine against the virus, it shows pretty good neutralization. Pfizer put out data, AstraZeneca put out data, and now we have some data from J&J as well. And it's all very consistent with the past performance of the vaccine. In every case where we have clinical evidence looking at actual patients who've been vaccinated and how protective the vaccine is, Once again, we see the vaccines are protective. We don't have clinical evidence with the J&J vaccine just yet because we don't have a lot of Delta variant in parts of the world where the J&J vaccine was used, particularly the United States. But in parts of the world where we have clinical evidence with the vaccines, particularly the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, because the Delta variant happens to be spreading in parts of the world where those vaccines were used, the United Kingdom and Israel, the clinical evidence shows that the vaccines are very protective and certainly consistent with what we've seen with the vaccines from both B117 the old UK variant which was the most prevalent variant previously as well as the original Wuhan strain of uh, of covid so there's no reason why the J&J vaccine would behave differently in my view so this result is pretty much consistent with how the J&J vaccine has performed against uh, other strains of the virus i was trying to figure out what they did scott is this
6: like in vitro an in vitro study they 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 t- explain exactly i mean it just seems like that's not a clinical, uh, a study of a clinical outcome. It, it, you'd have to make some leaps of faith to believe that, uh, you know, that, that you can bank on this.
5: Yeah, so what they did, my understanding of what they did is they looked at the antibodies produced by the vaccine. So they took the antibodies from people who've been vaccinated with the vaccine, and they looked at how well those antibodies neutralized the virus in vitro, in test tubes, to your point. Um, you're right that in most cases you can't just make a leap that that's how it's going to perform clinically in people. But we've been doing this long enough at this point, looking at neutralization titers in vitro, that we understand the correlations. So I think this is, you know, a good result. Yeah, a good chance of
6: it and, and positive. And uh, but just, you know, if you were a total purist, you'd want more info probably to be to be absolutely sure, I guess.
5: That's right, but with the J and J vaccine, remember, I think 11 million people in the U.S. have been vaccinated with it. So it may be some time before we actually see the real-world clinical performance against Delta, because the bottom line is probably in parts of the country where the J and J vaccine was heavily used, um, there's just not a lot of Delta virus right now. So uh, I think this is a good result. I I would feel pretty confident
2: looking at this data. And Scott, finally, going back maybe to my first question about July 4th, and I I know you're feeling pretty good about things, but in terms of people getting together, most people will obviously do it outside. Uh, there's going to be uh, children, some children who are not vaccinated, others that are, uh, older, older kids and whatnot. How should just families even think about that?
5: Look, I still think people should take prudent precautions where they can, where it's not going to be disruptive. I mean, when you have a decision to make and you can decide to do something in a way that's more safe with respect to just the transmission of viruses generally, I would opt for the more safe option. So, you know, to the extent that you have discretion, I would use it, um, but I don't think people should hold back on gathering with friends, family, that they know that they feel comfortable with, that they want to get together with uh, because of COVID right now. There's very low prevalence around the country. You have to judge based on where you are. Look, if you're here in Connecticut, I think there were 20 cases reported in the whole state. So, you know, it's a pretty safe environment right now to be getting together. I'm still looking for opportunities to exercise caution. Like, if I go to a restaurant right now and there's an option to sit outside, I eat outside. I think where you can um, be sort of a nervous Bayesian and lower your statistical probability of coming into contact with the virus, why not? But I wouldn't hold back on gathering with friends and family this holiday because the virus is spreading furtively in very low numbers in certain parts of the country. Now, again, if I'm in Missouri, I think that there, you should exercise
2: more precautions there because there is more infection. Okay, Scott Gottlieb, great to see you. Have a great long weekend. Thanks.
0: Coming up, a dramatic twist in the billionaire space race. Richard Branson attempting to take off before Jeff Bezos.
6: Did you know he had a space reporter, Sorkin?
1: I did not know.
0: CNBC.com's Michael Sheets on the personalities preparing for liftoff.
1: Last night, Elon Musk replied to one of my tweets and just simply asked, do they accept Dogecoin?
7: (laughs) This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
6: Stand by Joe.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan.
6: One is Mike Q. The billionaire space race just got a lot more uh, interesting and competitive. Virgin Galactic announced that it plans to launch its next test space flight soon, July 11th. And Sir Richard Branson will be on board. That comes just nine days ahead of Blue Origin's next planned launch, which will be carrying fellow billionaire uh, Jeff Bezos. I thought Branson always said, I'm going up, but not going to be the first. I guess it wouldn't be the first, but I thought Bezos had the first I'm not sure why the shares of Virgin Galactic would soar uh, on this um, huh. being first. History. I guess, but it's not like Sputnik versus. I, that's John what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I,
4: I have a theory about what might happen next. Yeah, I must save it. What's you your want? theory?
6: We, we may talk. What Tell it? Michael Sheets or our space reporter. Did you know we had a space reporter, Sorkin? I, I, I did not know it a was this, but beyond.
2: I'm so so fascinated to hear what Becky has to say about right. her theory. It's a crazy What's the theory? theory.
4: It's, a, it's a crazy theory. You want me to tell you now?
2: Tell us now. We, I mean, we don't have any patience.
4: Right. You know. Okay, what, I, this is totally made up, but what if both of them lose out to Elon Musk, who decides he's going to go up on like July 4th or something?
6: He'd never do anything Beats impulsive like that.
4: Beats them both to the punch.
6: Right, that could happen.
4: Got a lot of days between now and July 11th.
6: I think any of these key employees going up I don't know why the stock goes up on the news. I think I'd be, you know, it's kind of nervous. scary. Yeah. Uh, it's so early.
4: Well, Maybe today, it's not today as today early Jeff as Bezos's it. last I, day at Amazon, isn't it? Yeah,
6: that's right. It seems early, but I don't think it is. the The technology is is good and safe and everything else. I think at this point, so we should, uh, you know, it's in the back of your mind, but but hopefully it's the chances. I don't, I don't think those guys low. would
4: take a chance if they I mean. had any worries. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, the, all of this seems crazy to me, but who, who might I to say?
4: Joining us right now is Michael Sheets, he's CNBC.com's space reporter. And Michael, this may not be Sputnik, as Joe was saying earlier, but this is pretty interesting and certainly a race that's heating up.
1: Becky, it is a race, and it's this billionaire space race that has been talked about for years. And this July, it's actually finally happening. Branson is scheduled to launch on July 11th, as you mentioned, and Bezos is scheduled to launch on July 20th. Now, Bezos had uh, announced his mission back in May Back when Branson's Virgin Galactic had performed its last test flight and you know, the whole schedule up until that point when Br- Bezos made his announcement was that the next uh, space flight by Virgin Galactic would be a test with four mission specialists on board and then the, the following one would fly Branson. Now, they've reorganized that a little bit with the inclusion of Branson now on this flight and he's scheduled to try to beat uh, Bezos by nine days. One really important factoid in terms of just the scheduling here is that the fastest time uh, Virgin Galactic has ever turned around its spacecraft, VSS Unity, is 71 days between space flights this would be 50 days, so there's an element of uh, speed, there's an element of efficiency, but at the very bottom line is safety. I mean, we're talking about still going to the edge of space, reaching above uh, 300,000 feet altitude and, and floating for several minutes in microgravity. So there is certainly a huge element of safety involved and uh, it, you know the company really has emphasized that they're not moving up this schedule, not reorganizing anything for, and risking safety, but it, it's not something to be taken lightly.
4: Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, too. Joe made the point that he's surprised to see shares of Virgin Galactic jump so much on this news because you might think that uh, you might be a little concerned about losing a key player potentially. That stock right now up by more than 30 percent.
1: That's a great point, and uh, the stock has traded quite speculatively over the last almost two years since it went public via SPAC with Chamath Palopatia. So uh, it's been moving up and down a lot because they don't really have any revenue. They haven't started commercial service, and that's still not uh, scheduled to begin until 2022. So they're not going to see any major revenue until then. This is a lot of excitement. This is the stock that you know it, it's been known to move even on days that SpaceX launches. You know, a completely unrelated company, and it it looks like people are excited about it. They see the momentum going into it. I mean, it had its best day just recently when uh, the FAA signed off and gave uh, Virgin Galactic its full launch license to to carry paying passengers space. That was a long-awaited license for Virgin Galactic, and the stock moved almost 40% in a single day.
4: Yeah, and Michael, it's probably worth pointing out that what Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic do is very different. Uh, They're in the space tourism business where you're just going up a little bit, but that's very different than what Elon Musk's company's been doing, where they're actually sending people to the International Space Station.
1: That's exactly right. And SpaceX, you know, you're you're talking about a trip into orbit for days at a time, not just a few minutes. That's a huge difference in both the uh, capabilities of the spacecraft, you know the risks involved in everything else. Now those guys have launched uh, now ten astronauts in the past year, which is an incredible accomplishment on its own. It's funny though because last night uh, Elon Musk replied to one of my tweets and just simply asked, "Do they accept Dogecoin?" So maybe he's thinking about it. I don't know.
4: <laughs> I did not know that. All right, it's good to know that you've got his attention. He is watching. Uh, still probably pretty long odds, but thank you.
0: That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. We will be off on Monday for the July 4th holiday. We hope you enjoy the long weekend as well as we will. Starting Tuesday and all next week, we'll be bringing you a special podcast series with Berkshire Hathaway's BFFs, Warren Buffett, and Charlie Munger. Why don't you guys talk about how you first met?
6: Well, I want to tell the story, go ahead.
0: Two of the best in the business on wealth, wisdom, and all the life in between. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan.
6: Okay, hairdo. Okay, hairdo.
0: Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll meet you back here on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.
2: We are clear. Thanks, guys.